I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to another episode here of You from the Bullens with myself, Ben Winstanley. I'm joined today by a very special guest, ex-Everton and Scotland international Pat Nevin. Pat, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Um, absolutely brilliant. It's been a wee bit of a journey. Four hours to get here from Scotland, but definitely worth it. Always like to be in Liverpool when the sun's shining um, and excited about the start of the season. Well, a wee bit excited. <laughs> <laughs> Only a little start. You, you, are, you are driving back tonight as well, Pat, mm-hmm. so eight hours of travelling. I can't tell you how happy we are to have you here on a view from the Bullens, you know, it's an absolute privilege to be talking to yourself and mm-hmm. going to go get really stuck into you now. And obviously you've got loads of stories. You've had a little bit of a chat off air mm-hmm. and you haven't even come with a script today, have you? You've come oh, with no. a, you're going to let us into all the fountains of knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. <laughs> Pat, we're going to start off then back in when you were a wee boy. Uh, mm-hmm. I like you like Miss Scottish terminology there when you were a young lad. How hard was it then growing up? aspiring to be a footballer. Did you know at a young age that you were destined to be the footballer you became? Um, well, here's the, the first mistake. I never aspired to be a footballer at <laughs> any point in my life. I loved playing it. I mean, I absolutely loved playing football and I tra- trained all the time. My dad was a coach. Um, but at no point did I think I wanted to be a footballer. The rest of my family, I've got, you know, I'm one of six. They all went on to do degrees. So that was the direction of travel for me. Um, but as I went along, my dad was training me all the time and I was still keen but he thought I was good enough. Never told me. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, I, I just, I did it for the pure love of it. And, you know, someone else said to me, you're going to be a footballer. At no point in my life, I would say before 18, would I have said, uh, I'm going to be a professional footballer. Even though by 18, I was a professional footballer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing. So, but I love doing it. And certainly one of the things that I do like to talk about quite a bit is the fact that if you do something for the pure love of it, particularly if it's um, something that's creative. And that may be the arts, that may be writing, that may be playing football, maybe doing anything. See, if you're doing it, if you're doing it for the love of it, but not not through the fear of it, then I actually think you're probably better. Certainly my personality, it helped that way. So as a kid, it was football all the time. I come from a rough end of Glasgow, the east end of Glasgow, a place called Easterhouse. And it's, I mean, everybody from Liverpool will know, you know, the tough areas. 
And, you know, it is a kind of tough background, but you don't know anything else at the time. So I was really happy. I'd, and having all the brothers and sisters and mum and dad were very supportive, but they were absolutely as interested in our education, probably more than even the sport, even though my dad loved the sport. Oh, so you started off at, at Celtic, was it, as a young as a young boy? How was that? And then I didn't quite make it at Celtic. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, so I was a boys club before that, various boys clubs, and then they, they spotted me playing and I ended up playing for Celtic Boys Club for... Uh, four years, um, and they are the big team in Scotland. And if you're playing there, obviously Celtic spot you. Yeah. Um, and they did. So they signed me in a schoolboy form. Uh, Billy McNeil was the manager, who famously first uh, British person to lift the European Cup in '67. And don't ask me questions about Celtic because I'll answer <laughs> every one of them correctly, especially yeah, yeah. subject when I was a kid. Um, but even when I was in S form, I didn't think I'm going to be a player. It was yeah. just kind of nice, you know. I didn't tell any of my mates. I didn't tell anyone at school, you know, I liked the two lives to be really separate. So I was there until I was at 16 and I was player of the year, top goal scorer, centre forward in those days and I'd, I'd never played in the wing. And uh, when they told me they weren't taking me on at 16, I was, I was fine, I was cool, which surprised a lot of people, even my, particularly my dad, um, because I wanted to do the degree and uh, had they offered me a contract, I wouldn't have taken it. You wouldn't have taken no, it. I wouldn't have taken it because I was doing. I wanted to go and finish, do a degree. So that's what I did. I stopped playing, and uh, started the degree like the rest of my family had done. Uh, but also, I loved playing football. Yeah. So I kept on playing with a boys' club, a team called Garkosh. And it was one day I was playing for Garkosh, and uh, it was two particular days that stand out. And some people will understand this, and I hope the listeners do. <laughs> and it was the Glasgow Rangers scout had watched me. And he came walking up, and I was centre forward, and I scored four. We win this cup final 4 0, and I'd scored other goals. And he was walking <laughs> towards me, and I'm thinking, no, don't, really, don't. Because, <laughs> so he walked up and he said, hello, my name is, and he told me his name, and I went, great, my name's Patrick Kevin Francis Michael Nevin. They didn't sign Catholics in those days. <laughs> so he just turned off, he just turned around and walked away. He didn't do it too badly because he signed our centre half instead. And yeah. our centre half went on to play for Rangers for many, many years and uh, play for Scotland many times, a guy called David McPherson. So there was chances then, but what happened was I was playing in another bounce game and it was against Clyde Reserves. Yeah. And I had a bet with one of my mates. The, the bet was an album. Who could score the best goal against these bunch of... Losers, <laughs> and uh, you have to restrain yourself then. Uh, well, well, I just ended up blaming them. So I, <laughs> so I ended up beat about four and scored. And as I was walking off, their manager said, "Do you want to come and play with us?" And I said, "No, not really, because I'm doing a degree." But their manager was an educationalist. He was uh, not only a football manager at Clyde, but he was also a lecturer in Glasgow. And he said, "Well, wait a minute, you've got a grant, haven't you? We're part time." You can study for your degree and you can play part-time for us. Two training nights a week and playing a Saturday won't get in the way. And I went, ah, interesting. He says, we can pay you 30 quid a week. I said, where's the pen? <laughs> Give me it. <laughs> How many Souls. albums can I buy for like 30 quid a week in those days? Like, So that was it. And that manager was uh, rather poignantly Craig Brown, who died very recently. Oh. And uh, he, after my dad was the most important person in my football career, because he brought me back into it. And uh, so I'm now playing football for Clyde, but not really wanting to be a footballer per se. But it's good fun and I'm enjoying it. But it just kept on going really well. Yeah. <laughs> it was just mad. <laughs> I won Divisional Player of the Year, first year at 17. Um, we won the league. Um, 
I ended up getting into the Scottish youth team. Wow. We won the European Championships. The only Scotland team ever to do that. I got player of the tournament. <laughs> and I'm thinking, maybe I might think about doing this. You know, the people we were playing against didn't do very well. You know, some bloke called Marco Van Basten. Oh, I don't, yeah. nothing Average footballer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we won that. Um, and I came back and came back for that. We won the tournament in Finland. I scored in the final. The next day, I had a law exam in Glasgow. So I had to fly back, do the law exam. And at that point in time, Chelsea came in to buy me. And I just said, no, it's not what I want to do. And they were quite shocked, but it's always Clyde. They yeah. were, they, they'd have liked the money. <laughs> yeah. I said, no, I'm just doing it for fun. And people who say, oh, you're just making that up, well, explain to me why I then didn't sign for them for an entire year. I said, no, I stayed on, doing my degree, carrying on with, Chelsea, uh, with Clyde. But at the end of this, the second season with Clyde, Chelsea came back in and uh, I decided I'll take a two-year sabbatical and have a go at this football. <laughs> a sabbatical. Uh, and that's what it was. It was a sabbatical. That was quite a few years ago and I've not come back yet. So, <laughs> Did you pass your law exam? I passed everyone. Passed every everyone. one of the exams. So, and what happened was, the reason why I took sabbatical, I'll try and keep this simple, um, I knew I wanted to play in the World Youth, Youth World Championships in Mexico. Yeah. They were playing Aztec Stadium and things like that. And I'm thinking, yeah, I fancy that. But that was dead in the middle of my final year exams at that year. What I realised, if I signed for Chelsea, I'd miss the exams, but I can set them all and reset in August. Yeah. So, so, but you can't afford to lose one yeah. or, or you're out of the course. So I went and I played in European Championships. We got beat in the quarters after we beat Mexico in the... And the Aztec was 100,000 people. I'm, I made our only goal for Stevie Clark. Oh. It's the madness of it. I mean, some of the names that played that, they were big names for us. Um, and then I went down to Chelsea thinking, well, a couple of years down there, I'll never get in the first team. And uh, I got played a year that year for Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, whatever I tried, uh, you know, it, there's a line that I use in the, my second, my most recent book, which right at the start, which is, I tried really hard not to be a footballer and failed miserably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she tried that hard not to be good. I really tried. I really tried. So it was a very unusual way into it. And it's very different, obviously, yeah. from the way most people come into it. But there was one or two of us that were quite like that. It was a guy called Brian McClare. Uh, he was my best mate. Um, he was playing for Motherwell at the time. Went on for Celtic then. Was Manchester United centre forward for many years and a very good player. And he was studying maths at Glasgow. So... You know, there was one or two of us around that were doing this, but just playing it for the love of it. But when I got to Chelsea, I realised, if I just keep on playing for the love of it, it's all right. Yeah, it's going to be good. Gorgeous. And that's kind of, that's how the kind of career kind of started. Very unusual way in, um, but I still think it's a very sensible way in. No, but it definitely is. You had, you know, you're playing football, you've got your contingency plan. You know, these young footballers coming through nowadays, yeah. they're all football, 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 football. And it sometimes comes back to bite yeah. them in the foot, doesn't it? I feel very sorry for them. I feel sorry for me. Was that my phone that went off there? That's a disgrace. <laughs> that. How unprofessional is that, honestly? <laughs> Can't believe it. It's on silent. Um, I, I, I do, because when I became a footballer down at Chelsea, I saw the pressure they were under, and I was feeling none of it. I mean, I've never been nervous in my life and never nervous before. Well, once, we might get to that. Um, and I just thought, no, just do it for the love of it, be relaxed. If it fails, so what? I'll go back and do the degree. But watching all those other kids coming through who knew that they'd given everything, there was no backup. Couldn't blame them for it because the clubs wanted that. Um, so at that time, I felt 
as if I had a lot of respect for them because I wasn't willing to throw all my chips in in this one. You know, they were brave enough to be able to do that. So I, I don't dismiss them for doing that. And, you know, as the years rolled on, many years later, I became PFA chairman and I made sure that we could get as much of the educational opportunities to all of those kids that were coming through. And to be fair, we did it as a union at first, but the clubs, I have to say, particularly Everton, are phenomenal at it. I mean, I don't know if you know this. I, you may or may not know this. There's a company, I'm going to jump miles forward here. <laughs> There's an organisation called the EFDN. It's at European Football Development. And what it is, is all the best things that a club does uh, in the community and outwardly, outward facing. All the best teams in the world gather every quarter. And I sometimes chair this. And we had it at the new camp we were all ago wow. there. And hundreds <laughs> of teams come from all over the world. And you need to be invited, so you need to be into it. Everton are the gold standard wow. in the planet. And I mean in the entire planet. People ask what Everton are doing in these various things. But the reason why they all get together is because it's not competition. It's everyone shares best practice. So yeah. it's always been a big part of, you know, when I was in the football, yeah, play the football, but you can do other things as well. Yeah. And uh, I certainly knew at that time it was a good idea for me to try and help as many other young players coming through. No, definitely. And obviously, Everton, like you quite rightly said, gold standard off the pitch. If mm. only we were as good on the pitch currently, but we'll get on to that later yeah. on. So you've made that move. You've come down, you've crossed the border. You're now in London. You've just touched upon you've never felt pressure. Was it a different kind of feel? You know, obviously playing for Chelsea, the capital, you know, the fans. Was it a bit, a bit more difficult than it was up at Clyde? Amazingly, no. no. <laughs> First year we win the league to yeah. get promotion to the, the top league. Um, I, I got player of the year you know I'm only 19 um, you're thinking well no, this is fun you know yeah. just keep on making it fun I have to say I had other interests so I'm a very big reader uh, I'm a music fanatic I've always been a DJ as well um, I was making great friends in London having a phenomenal life down there as well I mean John Peel the great um, can we mention John Peel on here? Of course. He's, of he's course. a red, yeah. but you know, he was a red. <laughs> we can always um, edit it out yeah. in the background. Um, he'll come back later. <laughs> um, but all, most, all my friends weren't footballers. I got on well with them, okay, but I didn't hang about with them afterwards. Most of my mates were musicians and, you know, or, or ballet dancers or, you know, actors or, or, or road sweepers. I, I wanted this, these two lives to be separate. Uh, the reason being is football can completely take over your life. And I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to keep the, the joy of it, the love of it. And I didn't have any interest in the fame. None at all. Never have. Doesn't bother me. Just, you know, the selling themselves sort of thing. Just, I don't get it. Yeah. I understand some people are into it and you yeah. have to do it. <laughs> it wasn't for me. So I, could, I just lived a very normal life, but also happened to play football as well. And I, I kind of worked hard at that to make sure I kept them separate. That didn't mean... I had any disrespect for the game. It didn't mean that I wasn't as you know, completely and utterly committed to it. I mean, I was the only player going back in the afternoons. Nobody else came. So there was one was one time, uh, I always got the youth team and get one of the, the left back for the youth team and say, right, you're working with me this afternoon. And I'd take him back. And the first one was a guy called John Miller. Uh, anyway, he worked well, got into the first team eventually. He moved to Hearts, played well for Blackburn. So a great lad, yeah. Scottish boy. And then he left, and then I had to go to the youth team, and I'm right, who's left back? Hand goes up, right, you come with me in the afternoons now. So I'd take the left back, and I'd work with him. But this time, I'm now a winger, because Chelsea made me into a winger. So I'd work with this kid. Anyway, after about six weeks, 
I'm struggling to get by this kid. I'm thinking, what? What's going on here? I'm, I thought I was all right. I thought it was quite good. How was I to know Graham Lasso was going to be? <laughs> no idea. I just picked this wee one youngster head. And uh, anyway, so I kind of, it was great doing that sort of stuff. And I was very, very dedicated to the craft and the, prof uh, the profession. And I was extremely professional about it. I was a distance runner. That was my, one of my yeah. other things. I'd been a distance runner. So out with the trainer, I was going out and running and doing wow. things like that. So I had a very different lifestyle to a lot of the players. Um, and I just hope it didn't seem too earnest at the time. I don't think it was because I liked the comedy and the, the fun yeah. things as well that was going on. I had one of my mates, i tell you this quickly, one of my mates at the time, I used to go to see a lot of these upcoming comics. And there was this guy, mate of mine called Bing Hitler. And he was really good. <laughs> But it just wasn't happening, right? It just wasn't happening for me. And anyway, one night he said to me, oh, I've had enough of this. I, I, I'm going away. I'm, I'm going to just go and break America. And I'm going to <laughs> kill myself laughing. Yeah, I'll see you soon, big man. Anyway, he did. He broke America. <laughs> and his name's Craig Ferguson. And he had, uh, he was probably the most famous Scotsman in the, on the North American wow. continent for about two decades there. And he did the late, late, late show. After oh, wow. Johnny, no, it wasn't Johnny Carson one after that, but he was one of that group. So I had some really interesting mates and an interesting time, which meant I didn't always have to think about the football all the time. Be dedicated to it, but don't let it take over your entire life. And that's how I got through it. Yeah, obviously you mentioned then about Chelsea turning you from a striker to a winger. Mm. Football terms... Was that difficult? Was it hard? Obviously, you're going to get now against Graham Lasso six weeks on, yeah. as you quite rightly said. But was that a bit a big transition? Was it difficult? It it was slightly disappointing as opposed to difficult. Um, you're less involved out wide, so I'd have been an, a, a nine or a ten. Yeah, one of the two. You know, or you know, maybe coming from deep midfield, we caught an eight or a ten now. Um, in Scotland, we often played with tens. England didn't. In England, everyone played four three three or four four two. There was no general 10. Yeah. But sometimes there's a double striker. And I did that a bit at Chelsea when one of the strikers was injured. Um, but I, was, I, I knew I was a better player in that position because you're a wee bit isolated out wide. But I was scoring so well from wide that the manager said, look, you're scoring there anyway. We might as well have another scorer in the middle. <laughs> and so the three of us who were playing up front, uh, Kerry Dixon, myself and David Speedy between us, we were scoring 60-odd goals a season. Yeah. You know, and between the three of us, well, why change that? You know, and it was going really well. And when we went up to the top division, it didn't stop. It just kept on going. And it was certainly, it surprised a lot of people that Chelsea had been a stinking team before that. One year later, we were top six and we were chasing for the top. There was one season where Everton were top, and but we had two games in hand. And it, and it was getting on for, I think it was February, March. So we were right in there to win the league. And that had happened in no time at all. Just we we bought five new players and all of us done really well. So it was a, a brilliant time. And if you're if you're being successful, you're learning a new trade. But I didn't actually care where I played. Right yeah. wing, left wing, centre forward, deep line, um, forward line midfielder or a ten. Didn't matter. I don't care. Just as we say in Scotland, just gears the ball. <laughs> yeah, just, just gives the ball and let me do the rest. Obviously then, the the club, the club that we're all interested in, the club where you're here today on this podcast, Everton come knocking. I think it's a fee just shy of a, a million pounds, mm. if that's right. I don't know if the Chelsea get relegated and Everton bought they did. My last, my last game for uh, Chelsea, they got relegated. It was a real shame because they were fourth bottom, I think eight points away from relegation. But the fourth bottom team that year 
went into a playoff. Oh, no we bad. won three of the four games and went down. So, but I, I knew I was leaving then. Yeah. Uh, there'd been a new manager come in. I'd already agreed when that I was going to a new club and it was Paris Saint-Germain. It's all oh, organised wow. to go to PSG. And uh, I mean, I, I was saddened because I didn't want to leave Chelsea, but they probably needed the money. So anyway, my wife, or my girlfriend as it was at the time, we went away on holiday and we were sitting on a beach in Corfu in a really scruffy beach where all the scruffy Aussies <laughs> would go with their backpacks. That's kind of my thing. And uh, the guy who was in the taverna where we were staying ran down. He goes, Mr. Nevin, Mr. Nevin, there is a phone call. Oh, what is it? So I went out and got a phone call. And it was my flatmate, Peter Welsh. And Peter said, uh, it's a guy called Colin Harvey's phone. He said, uh, could you, could you, not that funny. Could you, um, <laughs> could, would you sign forever? And could you come and talk to us? Don't sign for anyone else. And on the phone I went, ah, tell Colin I'll sign. Okay. And Peter went, yeah, all right. That was it. That's the conversation. Wow. Right? <laughs> and so Colin gets a message that night from Peter. Colin's phoned up and says, what, what's Pat? What's Pat's sign for anyone? And Peter went, uh, Pat said he'll sign for you. It's all right. And he goes, we've not, we've not talked money. Is, is this a joke? And Peter went, no, Pat's not like that. He's not into it. It's not the money. And he says, if he says he'll sign, he'll sign. So take it easy. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And Colin's like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, when I flew back, um, went out with me Colin, and within half an hour, I, I knew I knew anyway, because at that time, a step up for Chelsea to Everton is, the, is mega. Yeah. I mean, Everton and them <laughs> were the big teams in United, right? Yeah. And you wouldn't turn it down. And I'd played against them often enough. And I'd actually generally played well against Everton as well. It was a great 4-3 game up at Goodison once. Uh, everything you couldn't turn it down. There's yeah. too many good players. History of the club. I have to say, Goodison Park. Yeah. And the pitch, the actual playing surface. And then meeting Colin and thinking, you're one of my favourite guys I've ever met in my entire life. After half an hour, wow. probably less. So it was an absolute done deal with no, with absolutely no effort whatsoever. So it was, uh, it was so exciting and. At that point in time, I thought, this is what the career was aiming for. I am now with one of the top teams. And I now, I didn't know one, one thing I didn't know about it was Everton at the time were a more structured side. Yeah. Very structured. Whereas with Chelsea, although I was wing, I was basically do what you like. So the manager trusted me. Just do what you like. Find the space, develop it. You know where to defend. Trust you. Never ever gave me any, any discussion of what to do, where to do it or anything. We trust you. Do it. Destroy. Everton wasn't like that. Everton was a very much more structured side and they'd been very successful with it. So um, maybe the playing style wouldn't have been perfectly suited to me, but you still can turn it down. And we were buying some players at that time. The same week, Tony Cotty came, um, 2.2 million, which was the biggest ever transfer yep. uh, to English clubs. Um, Neil McDonald, Paul, uh, Stuart McCall, myself. And you thought, oh, they're good. And they also, they already had great players anyway. Yeah. And you just thought, this is going to be absolutely brilliant. So, and there was a first game that uh, many of us at an age will remember. We played against Newcastle, first game of the season. And we destroyed them 4-0. And we, honestly, and I'm playing that game and I'm doing the, all the flicks and tricks and scoops and everything. And we are, I think TC, Tony Cox scored three, Sharpie scored one. And you're thinking... This is so, so brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, that excitement there was just 
amazing. Um, and there, there was a moment during that game I remember, I think we were 3-0 up and I got the ball and two players came in and I scooped them, went by them and I heard this noise for the stands and I thought, oh, they've got it as well. Because if Chelsea fans were like that with me, I thought, oh, they're, they're, they're on my team. They like this type of player. Um, so at that point in time, it just sounded like it was going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, spoiler alert, it didn't go absolutely as smoothly as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that was the high, wasn't it? Then? Yeah, well, there was no, there was bigger highs yeah. than that to come, but that was a moment of extraordinary hope, not just for us in the team, but the fans. You can, you, you know, every fan knows. See that first day of the season, you turn up and it's sunny, and your team's got a whole bunch of new players. And then they all just hit it. Yeah. And you just think, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're quids. We're on here. <laughs> and it's just one of the greatest fo- feelings of football. Doesn't matter if you're a player, doesn't matter if you're a fan. And it was one of those great memorable days. Um, then it was with another game. We, I think it, was, it might have been Coventry. I can't remember who it was, Coventry or something. And then it was the third game. Uh, and it was of the league season. It was against Nottingham Forest. And I was directly up against Stuart Pierce. Now, I play against Pierce a lot, Psycho a lot, and I loved playing against him. Absolutely loved it. All other wingers hated playing against him. I loved it. Because he was a good player. Yeah. But he was a bit rash in those days. So he'd try and give you a bit. Like, yeah. But I loved that because with quick feet, you can get by them. Anyway, halfway th- through the game, I've like done him once and he's because sl- he's getting angry. <laughs> Next time he's tried to have a smash enemy, straight by him, put a cross in. Third time I've gone up to him, I've thrown the biggest dummy in and he went for it. I've went by him. But as I went by him, I've kind of looked back. Now, it wasn't meant to be cheeky, but bloody hell, I would have looked at him. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I get a ball, I could see him just coming straight for me. He's he he through, wasn't yeah. even looking at the ball. He was just running straight for me. And I'm going to get it somewhere in the chest. <laughs> I know him. And I never shirked a tackle. You don't shirk a tackle. It's one of the things you never do. I learned that off a set. I'll tell you in a moment who yeah, told me on. that. Uh, I never shot the tackle, but this time I thought I'll turn away, and I turned away to go inside, but I hadn't looked behind me. A guy called Brian Rice got me and snapped my cruciate. Oh, no. So three games in, with everything glowing and everything going to be brilliant, and we're third on the table, everything's perfect. Snap, and I couldn't believe, it. and I blame myself. I should have just taken the hit, which I always done. Can I go back to why? Of course, yeah, yeah of course. So. When I was with Celtic Boys Club at under 14, I was centre forward and I was playing, I can remember we were playing against Easter Craigs and I scored a couple, we were 2-0 up at half time, but one of the other centre halves had tried to basically murder me and I jumped <laughs> out of the way and let him get the ball because I knew it was going to get really badly hurt. And as I was walking off, this guy walked straight towards me, the captain of our under 16 team, and he grabbed me by the scruff of the, the collar and went, don't you ever do that again. They know you're frightened of them if you do that. Never shirk a tackle. That's absolutely disgraceful. I don't care if you've won today. I don't care if you've scored two goals. And he just gave me this big rant. And I'm going, all right, okay, fine, <laughs> fine, fine. Anyway, that guy, David Moyes, went on to... <laughs> no way, yes. was it? Is David Moyes? <laughs> David Moyes. <laughs> Moyes, he, oh could have had, he could have had managers it's... stamped across his forehead when he was 16. It was wow. so obvious. Moyes and I have been friends forever, like all these times, because we were both at the boys club together. But it does, it's not a surprise that now that you think about yeah, it. Yeah, you're looking back. So yeah. we look back. So I'd never, from that day until that tackle, I'd taken every tackle. I'd taken every hit. I'd accepted hits as in, because you want to get people booked so they can't hit you again. 
And that was, and as I was getting carted, but I didn't, I actually stayed on for about 40 minutes. I actually stayed on the pitch. And I could, my career could have ended that day. Yeah. I had a, another tackle come in. Got the operation the next day. But I remember thinking, before going into the operation, Moisey was right. Moisey was so right. <laughs> so I never did it again. Never did it again. But uh, but the weird thing is, I was then out amazingly. So the cruciate hung on by, I think it was 5%. Wow. So it's a, yeah. So it should be a year-ish. Out. Yeah. I was back playing the first team in November. Oh, my. So like, how, was, how long was that? Three months? Yeah, less than three months. 17 weeks, I think it was. And I'd, I'd been told a number of things. I'd talked to a few doctors and a few specialists, and they said, if you power up your quads, you can actually you still play with it. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a chance you take now. But I managed it. And it was, but I was so desperately keen to get back in the team. And the team had actually started to falter while I was away. Uh, not because of me, probably, but yeah. I wanted to get back to help. And also, I cost a million quid. Yeah. Which back then, you know, none of your Dr. Evil, one million pounds. <laughs> yeah. um, with a finger up at the face. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to get back in. So I got back in quite, you know, quite, quite, really quickly. And uh, so by the end of that season, we didn't have a great season. We were, you know, top half, obviously. But the big thing was getting to the cup finals. And we got to two cup finals that season. Uh, I scored the winner in both of the semi-finals. Yeah. So considering... Still playing for Crucia, fun. <laughs> Crucia, yeah. And all the things that happened. But at that point in time, particularly scoring the winner uh, against... Not- uh, we, 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 beat, we played... It was Nottingham Forest, wasn't it? In the, 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 the other cup final. And they beat us 4-3 after extra time. But that wasn't the big one. The big one's the FA Cup. Yeah. And uh, it was 1-0. We beat Norwich. Um, and it was... I scored the goal. And you're thinking... Well, that's paid off a bit of the million. Yeah. And we played really well. And I thought, this is why I came here. And it just it underlined bad lucks. It's, it's worse than bad lucks, horrendous. That moment is highlight, biggest moment, biggest goal. Fantastic. I float off the pitch. And Radio 5 Live got a BBC Radio Sport, as it was then. Mike Ingham said to me, do an interview. He said, before we do the interview, just want to let you know, uh, over at Hillsborough, there's a lot of people oh. dead. And I went, and by the end of that sentence, I knew, so you're now at the lowest of lows from the highest of highs you've ever been. And it was a wee bit like that, you know, where, yeah. you know, and certainly no need to get into all the details of what happened then. Everybody in Liverpool knows what happened. I didn't think we should play the final. We did. It was the right thing because the families wanted to play. But I went to, we all went to a lot of the funerals. There were so many that they had to do it in rotas. But as you know, as Everton players, we did that, and it was, and it was, it was hard. It just it just broke you. It broke you. Um, but we played in the final. But we were going to have a go. Like we were, you know, respect. Yeah. And it couldn't be anyone. It had to be Liverpool. Ever. Yeah. It could only be that. And apparently, it was a great final. I wouldn't know. I can't. I've I've never looked at a moment of it ever. Yeah, ever since. Yeah. Because uh, there's no point. We could beat. You know, and it was so close. Three two after extra time. I mean, that's. And they were, they were quite a good team then. You know, yeah. with Rush and Barnes and all the rest. They were a good team. So once again, boy, we got close. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah. that was what an extraordinary first season. You know, at Evan, so much had happened, um, but the expectations at Evan was sky high. That wasn't good enough. Um, so next season we had to improve. Yeah, and obviously the, the following season comes. And how did that one transpire for you? How did that one work out? Well. Um, 
I was flying, you know, I was doing really well. It was certainly a period before, um, I mean, that season, I, I, we might have got six, I can't remember off the top of my head what we got, but we were okay. Yeah. The problem was that there wasn't a great spirit in the squad and there was a schism between the old players and the newbies. And I totally understand that. And certainly I've written about a lot. The first book, The Accidental Football, but I do a lot of stuff on it. Um, my time at Everton and at Chelsea. I explain that in detail because everyone, you, you hear this, it's not a great atmosphere at a club or, you know, managers lost the dressing room, all that. These are just lines. I want to explain to you what it really feels like. Now, I'm an outsider in this world. So I'm like you or me or any of our listeners here. I'm the outsider, like you, in there going, why are you people behaving like this? You should actually be all working together. So I certainly go into great depth about why there was a schism, why there was some bad feeling that wasn't there all the time. But I think that first season, I think off the top of my head, it was something like 49 points out of 57 at home. That's brilliant. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Away from home in 17. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And that's the problem. If you're going to if you if you're going to win on the road, you need spirit. You really need. Now we were losing by the odd goal. We weren't terrible. We were a good team, but the the difference was that little thing. And even though we had so many good players, and we kept on buying good players, we got Martin Keown, we brought Norman Whiteside, who was extraordinary. I mean, he was he was running in one leg. Yeah. And he was one of the best players I've ever seen, because um, his injuries that he was carrying, um, and we kept on getting these players. But we just couldn't break through, and it was—it did feel that it was partially a spirit thing. Uh, so that season was, again, we are up three points or something out from top three. But that's—that's. That's, I know it sounds odd for our young Everton fans, but that's abject failure Fair, for yeah. Everton Football Club. That's how we felt, and that's the right way to feel. So it was a happy time in lots of ways, and there were lots of good memories, and we're still scoring and making a lot of goals. Um, but it was. We needed silverware. Yeah. We wanted to, and I came, ever, for I came here for yeah. silverware to get this part of the career, and we've come close. And you know, it's, I thought, well, okay, that season's gone. We're, we've done a big part of the rebuild. Colin Harvey's still done the rebuild, so maybe the season after that was the one that we would really kick on. Um, and that's when it became really hard because we had a bad start to the next season. And, uh, you know, from then on, it became much harder for me. Uh, at the end of the third season, um, well, I'll tell you what, by, I think it was December, the first season, I was top goal scorer again. 
I shouldn't be top goal scorer. I'm a winger. Yeah, you're a winger yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. You yeah. don't want me as your top goal scorer. You want somebody strikers, else and me. Yeah. And we just weren't scoring enough goals. And uh, the decision was made to to remove Colin Harvey and uh, bring Howard back, which was a perfectly understandable decision at that point in time. Uh, but I felt really sorry for uh, for Colin at the time because Colin had done nothing wrong. And we were so, so close. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know when you're in a team how close you are to turning it. And we were so, so close. But you don't get that sort of time. And uh, it was really quite early on in the season that we eventually did that. And the weird thing, of course, is they brought Howard in and uh, he brought his assistant in. Colin Harvey yeah. came back, which is <laughs> extraordinary. Um, and that's then, it, it was interesting then because you've got a new manager. Now, the dynamics you, always change. It, they, they, they change. They want their own people. It happened to me at Chelsea in my final year or two, they changed manager. And although I kept, I was playing every week, it was a different style and it wasn't suited to me and I knew I wasn't right for them. And I kind of thought, oh, this might, this might not work. But I'll, I'll work my socks off and I'll try and show them and, as much as I possibly can. When he then bought another guy in my precise position within yeah. a few weeks, I thought, well, I thought I should have thought negatively, but I didn't. I thought, I'll show him. And I did play a lot of games that third season. Um, uh, started, I think it was 40 odd games I started. Uh, but I knew, you can tell, yeah. that the manager didn't rate you that highly. So obviously, my dad is a massive fan of yours, massive fan of like the eighties teams, you know, all them glory years as we mm. talk about. And he, he said straight away when you speak to Pat, ask him about Howard Kendall, ask him about what happened there, and, that, and, and I'm only asking this question because he is so desperate yeah. to know because there was all talks about you know a bit of disagreements. We've talked a bit off air, a bit of a rift. Yeah. For the listeners, what actually happened? Again, I've, I've been really honest about this again when writing in that guy's in a footballer book. Um, when Howard came in, the, the the drinking culture that was in football at the time, Howard was big into that, and it worked. Yeah, Liverpool had a big drinking culture, and that was what got the team spirit together. By the time he left and went to Spain, the game moved on. And people like me, it's not that I don't have a drink, but I don't overdo it, and I certainly wouldn't do it night before a game. Yeah. When Howard came back in, he thought we should get that back again. Um, and the old players that were still there from the previous regime were delighted with us. And I, I, I'm thinking, that's not me. That's, that's unprofessional. And, um, and I'm a wee bit earnest when we get to things like that. So I was definitely seen as a wee bit of a dangerous outside. I was, I was the dangerous intellectual because I'd once read a book. Um, <laughs> Andy Hinchcliffe in a similar position. And uh, But, you know, put up with, you know, and playing some games. I played most of the games. It was certainly the memorable one uh, where we played uh, Liverpool in the sixth round of the FA Cup. Nil-nil uh, over at Anfield, 4-4 draw at Goodison, back over at Anfield and beat them, get into the quarters, and we should win the cup by then. And it kind of went, that was when it was a I had a real problem because I was not having the, what I felt was unprofessionalism. There was one pre-season where those of us at the front of the runs were told to slow down, we're going too fast. And I'm thinking, what? Yeah, what <laughs> I is need going to on? get fit. Yeah. But the idea was, no, no, just, we're just a bunch of fun-loving people. Now, I like the fun, but you got to be able to be fit. And I thought it was an effect in the affecting the team. So that game in particular, with the 4-4, um, it was amazing. The, the first game, we should have got a penalty. Gary Ablett 
basically half me and two in the, the box. And uh, in any other ground in the world, we'd have got a penalty. But it was Anfield. Um, of course, of <laughs> Obviously. course. Nothing's changed then, has Not it? a thing. <laughs> and uh, so we get the 4 4, we get four, we've got that, and then we get to the quarters when we're playing West Ham away. And uh, we should we should hammer them. We are better than them. Like, yeah. And uh, the tactics were a shambles, an absolute shambles. Um, and Howard had had a few before the game, and uh, it was just obvious. So the tactics were that bad that during the game, I kind of adapted the, sh the shape because we were getting done. We were 2 0 down already. And I adapted the shape and made sure that we covered where the danger was. And uh, at half time, he just said to me, right, Who changed the He said to the team, Who changed the shape? I said, I did. Yeah, and he goes, Why? I said, You're not capable, mate. And in that moment, didn't say anything. That, there was, it was just absolutely unfair. I said, you're not, you're not capable of doing it. And he kind of made a laugh of it. But after that, He's never going to trust me. Yeah, and I'd say that in front of everybody as well. And it, and it's not as if like we now hate each other. There's a standoffish thing, but he still blames me sometimes. Yeah, and there was no anger. I just didn't agree with the, the methods. But I understood that it worked damn well for the club. Yeah. And he was like, he's a club legend, and yeah. rightly so. Um, but when that happened, I knew that there's, there's no way that I'm going to get back for that. I'll keep on trying. And it was a game a while later. We're playing Oldham away from home. And uh, they, we needed a point. And there was a Mike Milligan who went on to play for us, yeah. playing for Oldham, tried a back pass. I read it, got in front of it and scored. Got us a really important point um, that we needed. And as I walked in the dressing room afterwards, I think, yes. But this time we'd bought some more great players, Morris Johnson, Peter Beersley. And you know, really, I'm, I'd love to play with these players. Yeah. And he just walked in and he goes, you, you were just lucky there. Right. Could have said, well done, mate. And then they'll drive back that night. I just thought, nah, got to go. Just got to go. It's not going to It's not going to work. It doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing, and I think it was, I'd love to explain to Everton fans, um, although I would have been annoyed at the time, I just thought, look, it happens. You have to move on. I'm sad to move on. I love the club, love the place. The fans have been great to me, but it's silly now. And uh, it was... <laughs> Right at the end of the season, I went away, I went out and went for two two months uh, to go to try my Rovers to yeah. get myself fit to get to the Euros for Scotland, which worked. Yeah, so I got into the Euros, and I came back for the last couple of weeks of the season straight in the team again. But I, I was thinking, nah, you're just trying to sell me, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's just... and at the end, I did th I did a thing I'd never done before. Never wanted to do. I asked for transfer, so you have to write it down a bit of paper. So. Got it written down, printed out, got in a letter, and walked up to Hill's office and went, Because that Tranmere tried to buy me at this point, Tranmere yeah. and Galatasaray. So, yeah, wow, <laughs> that was a weird one, yeah. And uh, I went to put the envelope down, and he says, I can't see that. I went, What? He goes, I can't see that. Put it in your pocket. I went, Why? He said, Your move will go through, you don't need to ask for a transfer. Now, that's an incredible kindness because what that means is you don't forfeit all your transfer fees. So everything that's owed to me for transfer fees going forward, the loyalty bonuses will still be paid for you. If you ask for a transfer fee, you don't get them, a transfer. As an absolute kindness. And so that's not two people that hate each other. Yeah. There's a respect. And, and I'm always thinking, you know, for all the fact you might not rate me or whatever, you know, you didn't need to do that. There was no bitterness and there was none for me either. 
And my last memory, so I left and, you know, I decided weirdly, it's too long a story to tell you today. <laughs> I chose Trimie Rovers over yeah. Galatasaray after yeah. going over to Galatasaray. I mean, I'm from the where I'd choose, I'd choose Prenton Park well, over Galatasaray. And, and rightly so, <laughs> yeah. rightly so. It was a tough call. They were offering me about five times the money over in <laughs> Turkey. Um, and I went over and spoke to them and seen them. And I played against them forever in a friendly. And uh, I'd scored a couple against them. And it, it would have been good. Hakan Sukur was a centre forward. They wanted me to play as a 10. So it was tempting. Would have been very good. That very <laughs> tempting, right? Uh, but I just there was a complicated reasons. My mum was ill and things like that. Just had my son, didn't want to move. Um, so the first game of the next season when I signed for Tranmere is what we always did then was Everton Tranmere. They always came. Everton always came over to Prenton. and it was hilarious. So I'm running up the line. I think it was Andy Hinchcliffe who was marking me, and he's pushed me, and I've went flying straight towards the dugout at 100 mile an hour. And I can't stop myself. The only way to stop myself is to get my studs and my foot up and crash it right in to the the back of the wooden stuff, right beside Howard's head. <laughs> oh, no. I just went straight past his head with my studs and he's sitting there like that, eyes wide open, because he can't move because he's sitting, just battered into the back of it. And he's like, oh. And as I got up, I've turned around and I went, Tempted, and he looked around and he pissed himself laughing, and I did as well. But it was a real moment of look, people think you've got these big hatreds and angers and all the rest of it. It's not like that, it's never like that with me, anyway. I know it is with a lot of people, it's not with me, it's not personal, it's a business. Got on with it and got on with the next adventure. But it, it had been such a phenomenal, exciting adventure of a time, uh, and I was leaving the top level. And I think I was probably at my peak. And to leave the top level at your absolute peak is tough. But I'd spent a year trying to show Howard. And in that year, I'd got fewer and fewer games. A year in football is a long time. People think, oh, he must have lost it. He's not getting a game. When in actual fact, I was playing the best football in my career. And in actual fact, what shows from that is when I went to Tranmere, I played more times for Scotland than I did for all the other teams in my career put together. So I was at the, top at the absolute peak of my career, but I wasn't playing at top level. So, and that's the year that the Premier League started yeah. and the big money came in. <laughs> yeah. So before you get the violins out, don't get the violins out. a bit out. of music in the background, yeah, I no, think. Don't be sad about it, because I had an absolute ball at oh, Prenton wow. Park. I had a phenomenal time at Prenton Park. Playoffs year after year after year. We got so close to the Premier League. Um, so there's no complaints about it, but it could have gone a different way. You spoke off air about like international football, obviously the step up, you represented Scotland, your country. How proud of you are where you to represent your, your country? And is that step up a real thing? Because obviously people who listen to the podcast, you look at like club level, international level, like you were quite rightly saying before, is up there, isn't it? It's more complicated than people think. Um, technically, it's better. Much better. Every player is good, technically, generally, unless you're playing San Marino or whatever. Um, but you're not come against it by players playing usually. You know, you're playing against the Dutch who have got, you know, Ruud Hullet and things like that. And they're decent-ish players. Um, <laughs> but I actually found it easier. For me, in my style, it was much easier. And there are a number of reasons for it. Um, 
you're generally weren't playing against the, the kick and rush and the thump of English football, which was still a big part of it at the time. You're playing with more technical players. Now, my style, um, if I, I've seen one player in recent years who's close, pretty close to my style, only one who's really close. Um, I'm not as good as him. I wasn't as good as him, but David Silva was yeah. the kind of style I played. In international football, you're, it's easier because you're a technical player with lots of technical players around you. There's also this other brilliant one on top of it. See, you play international football, you generally play against people who don't know you, who don't know your technical <laughs> yeah. abilities, who don't know your specific strengths and weaknesses. They don't play against you every week. Now, these days, you get more analysis and help. But what if you're playing against people every single week? So for me, playing with Scotland was just great fun. I'm going to tell you one quick story about Scotland, though. So my background is... Uh, my whole family, we're from Kildare in Ireland, uh, but I'm second generation Scottish, huh? so I'm the first generation. In fact, I'm the only member of my family who probably would have supported Scotland more than <laughs> Ireland, right? <laughs> oh, oh, my brothers and sisters, it would have been a tight one. We're playing against Ireland one night, European Championship game. Whoever wins this will probably go through the Euros, and it's a Hamden Park, and honestly, we battled them, but they have got some team. They have what? They've got Aldridge is up front, they've got McGrath, they've got Houghton, they've got... Oh, they've, no, so the whole team is named that became world-class players, but they were a growing team at that time. Beats 1-0, and I was devastated, and I was walked out afterwards, and there's my dad standing there, smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did, what? Were you supporting yeah. them? Yeah. You get? Yeah. And he's went, no, not really, but... If you're going to get beat with anyone, it's son, a win-win situation. That's who you should get beat with. I was fuming well, <laughs> but but he was always very proud, and I suppose I was happy, delighted to play for my country, and it's an incredibly proud thing to do. But I was happier for my dad that he told me from a young, he told the rest of the family he thought I'd play for my country one day. He never told me. If I, if he'd have told me, I'd have said, "Don't be so stupid." But he was right. <laughs> but, yeah, but he was right, yeah, definitely. And obviously, past football, and I've had such a glorious career. You know, massive credit to you and what you've done throughout your footballing career that was just for fun mm. from the start, having a bit of a kick mm. around. But let's touch on to what you do now. You're obviously a, a, you know, a very, very well-respected author. Now you've got a couple of books out yeah. as well. A few listeners would be very intrigued to know what these books are about, what what's involved in them, what, did, what description are they around the game. So feel free to yeah. obviously... No, very quickly, the first one, they're both are memoirs of a sort, but they're not like a normal footballer's memoirs, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> a, I wrote them. Yeah. <laughs> She's not the norm. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't like them, blame me because yeah. I'm the writer. It's not ghosted. Um, the first one really is my career until the day I left Everton. Yeah. So it's all the build up. And now we've given it, we've given a kind of potted history of it yeah. until now, just now, but there's a lot more in there. Yeah. You know, a lot of weird <laughs> stuff happens. And it's very much an outsider. I'm an outsider in football. And it's an outsider's view, but I'm right in the middle You're of it. In the mix, yeah. Um after that, so the, and in that book, and to be honest, a lot of it, Evertonians and Chelsea fans have bought it. It sold very, very well and still is. Um, and I've, no one said they didn't like it yet. And there's tens of thousands of copies sold. And and it, it's lovely that people have really taken to it and really enjoyed it. It's a holiday. Amazingly, people always read it holiday. And <laughs> yeah. um, But then uh, I knew it was, I was always going to write more. So the, the second one was from the day I was at Tranmere, through my times at Kilmarnock, uh, I was chairman of the PFA for five years there. Um, there's some amazing stories that happened there. I don't know if you remember, some of listeners remember the 
certain night when Eric Cantona decided to drop kick one of the fans <laughs> well I was the chairman oh, of the no. union so I'm the guy that has to try and back him up and that was hard yeah. and I mean, at one point it looked as if I was going to have to go on uh, news night and tried to explain to Jeremy Paxman why this was all right. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so I was doing all those sorts of things. Happened. Went up to Kilmarnock, had a year there, had a brilliant year there. And then uh, four years where I was chief executive and player. Well, two of those years I was chief executive and player at Motherwell and SPL Club. No one has ever done that before or wow. since. And the things that happened there were extraordinary. So I had all that in the career. After that, Really had a brown time just in the media, you know, doing a lot of TV, doing a lot of radio, still work for Radio 5 Live quite a bit, do a lot of writing still. I'm currently I'm writing another book, um, which is going to be totally different from the others. Um, so, you know, really, really fortunate that for all those years ago when I took that two-year sabbatical, <laughs> yeah. and I'm thinking, should I go back? <laughs> well... I'm 59 now. <laughs> I think it may be a wee bit of a struggle. I'm thinking, yeah. I wonder if, you know, the economics or the accounts or the business management, they've probably not changed, but I'm guessing the computer programming's changed a wee bit since then. Yeah. <laughs> Just a wee bit, yeah. tiny wee bit. So, uh, where, can we, where can we find these books, by the way? Well, you get them on, yeah, I can get them online on Amazon. Uh, they're very good stocking at, uh, at Waterstones. They've been really big drivers of both of the books. Uh, the most recent one, uh, which is Football and How to Survive It, it's only a, a, a month now, and it's been... I mean, I've been travelling the whole country uh, talking to people about it. Do you know the upsetting thing? is that This is the most upsetting thing about it, right? I'll, t I'll whisper it to you. Don't let anyone hear this, right? <laughs> so you write this first book, and it goes really well, and people love it, and it's great, and you're really proud of it. And then write the second one. And quite a few people have written the second one, and you get them back in touch with you and say, oh, we like the second one better. I don't know if I should be offended by that. I, I really don't know. How, I just don't know. It's like, it's supposed to be that difficult second album kind of thing, yeah. you know? But, no, people have loved this second one because the, the, particularly the, the mad years at Motherwell. And what it does tell you is what it's like in the inside of a boardroom. Yeah. Now, Evertonians, Chelsea fans would love to know. You think you know? I'm afraid you don't. No, I think what you don't. it really is like in there. And the mayhem and madness that I was able... No, it's a smaller club, it's smaller. It's a Scottish Premier League yeah. club. And we got to third place for a while. So, no, not rubbish. Yeah. But the things that go on there, and maybe that's the thing more than anyone else at this book, people get back in touch and say, God, if we... Fans have no idea what goes on. Well, this was me telling them. Oh, well, there you go, ladies and gents. What a podcast. You know, I've only been speaking to you for an hour and I'm already intrigued. I could go on and on and on. Quite literally, we didn't even discuss on current evidence. Oh, Terrible at the moment. Sorry, sorry. And we'll leave that for another podcast because, you know, this is all about you, the career you've had, the books you're now doing now. And, you know, I'll be going straight on Amazon ordering that. My dad's read them. He says they're very good, very insightful. So, honestly, thank you so much for everyone here of you from the Bullets for coming on, sharing your stories. I've loved it. You know, I've just been sat opposite you and mm. you can just see just how real you actually mm. are. Um, obviously, you don't get that on the other side of the camera, yeah. but no, thank you so much. Really, really is appreciated. It's been a pleasure and an honour and let's hope next season's a bit better. <laughs> yeah. We need it. We need some players quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's end on that positive. Pat Nevin has addressed Everton's hierarchy. We need more players. But thank you so much, ladies and gents, for the continued support on the Patreon channels. Mike Keogh had seen the London for the ongoing support 
supporters, the sponsorship and Beer Keller Liverpool, of course, where you are going to come with us very soon. So there'll be a lot of videos up on social media regards to that. In the meantime, stay safe, all the very best, up the toffees, and as Pat Nevin quite rightly said, let's sign some players. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.